Here we are back at you, part three of our discussion with Matt Pendola from Pendola Training and the Pendola Project podcast. You can find his podcast on all of your podcast listening platforms. Download it, subscribe it, leave him a rating, leave him a review, get motivated on his Monday motivations. He's putting out two episodes a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Don't live without it. Make it one of your daily goals, your weekly goals to listen to both of those episodes. You might not pick up on a bunch. You might just take one thing away from it, but that's worth it. So whether you're on that treadmill or on that elliptical machine or in your car or in the airplane with your headphones on, check out the Pandola Project podcast. Today's episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody is brought to you by our friends at Dixie Peck Tires and Wheels. We trust Dixie Peck Tires and Wheels to get us across America's highways, freeways, back roads, dirt roads, chasing down that migration, chasing down that memory, chasing down that story. We need to be safe. We have to get our families and our friends to the hunt, back from the hunt, to the event, back from the event, safe and secure. And that's why we rely on Dixie Peck tires and wheels, not to mention the comfort level of them, the quiet level of them. Just put them on your rig and check out the difference. We re- we've relied on them for the last nine years, and we won't quit. Thank you, Dixie Peck Tires and Wheels, part of the Mickey Thompson Racing family, for everything that you do for us here at all of our brands on our TV shows, podcast, events, social media. All right, Matt Pendola, welcome back. Yeah, man. Part three. I'm honored three times. I know, in almost one week. Well, a little over a week, but we uh, we've gotten a good response to the first two so far, and I want to make sure that people can rely on us a lot of times you hear hey we'll have a three four part series and then something happens and nothing ever ends up getting done on maybe the third or fourth part but we're sticking to it we uh we've had some good discussions we've gone off on some tangents we've we've bounced around a little bit we've gotten transparent tried to be as honest as we can because if you can't be honest with yourself or your trainer then you're gonna have a tough time getting results in my opinion you have to get down to the bare bones and know exactly what your why is like Matt talks about. So, you know, at the end of part one, I started to talk about thresholds and grit and getting that edge and figuring out, you know, if you do encounter a threshold, you know, do you, are you prepared for that? And how do you, you know, motivate yourself to get around it, over it, under it, you know, whatever it takes. So first of all, do you, do you have a common definition that you use for threshold? I like it. So yeah, talking about how we go beyond our threshold or what is your perceived threshold, really? I think the first thing we need to really look at is what is threshold to you in the first place. And, and you mentioned the word grit. So consciously or subconsciously, what is your perceived effort compared to what? So when we look at threshold, I think we have a lot of different definitions and it's a very individual thing. We need to look at really what is our true why. And I've mentioned before in the past, What do you want your legacy to be? Because that has to be strong. You have to know what you're doing this for. But then once you get past that, you start to look at things, I think, a little bit differently. And when we are in the pain cave, we'll call it, right? So when you're pushing yourself into that pain cave and you don't really know why you're there, then that's when the why is very, very much more something that you're going to be able to focus on when you're going through that pain cave. Right. So 
if I go through the why and I put myself into that position of pain and I can give that answer, I think I can get to that next level. And then part of that is saying to yourself, compared to what I get to do this, this is something that I am in control of and I have a choice in and I can push myself because I know my why and because I know it's going to give me the legacy I want to live by achieving these type of goals. We know that we can push ourselves, but why? And once we get to that point, we know we get to do this. We are have an opportunity to see things differently, not as a threat, but as a challenge. So really, I think that once we're in that threshold, we're going to be able to see ourselves a little bit more a little bit differently. And I'd like to talk about how to get to that place today. And then I think that the explanation or the definition of your threshold will work better for you. So I know that's a, again, you're not, you're getting a long winded answer here because there is no one answer. I think you have to find your individual answer for that. And we're here today to help you find out how you can get that answer. Right. And so first off is that everybody could experience different thresholds in their journey or in their experiences. And second of all, they can experience a lot of range in that one threshold, but also they could encounter a second threshold that's completely different than the one that they just got through. And it's training the mind and the body in your, in your approach to understand that those thresholds are going to come. And it's not just going to be in training. We want to make sure that our listeners keep in mind that when we talk about thresholds, we're talking about, you know, <clears throat> these encounters that you could have through anything in life, kind of what we're experiencing maybe right now with this social distancing, you know, that could be, you know, that could pose a threshold to a lot of different people on how they react to that and how disciplined they stay and what their mindset is on that. So there's a lot of different things that a threshold can be defined as. And then on top of the definition, you're saying that there could be several different thresholds, you know, that are different from the last one that we're going to encounter. So I think that, you know, when you go into a training regimen or a change regimen or a nutrition regimen, you have to make sure that um, you look at it like the example I always use is if you're going to go on a two mile run, the first quarter mile might be the roughest part. Um, even though you think that that would be the easiest part because you have your lungs with you, 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 you're stretched out a little bit. Some people don't take the proper time to warm up before they go into an athletic event. So they automatically just put a bunch of, you know, pressure and, and, and all of that stuff on your blood, on your lungs, on your air capacity, on your veins, on your muscles, your tendons, and your body might not know how to react as opposed to being warmed up. But the threshold comes when you get to that quarter mile, half mile, and your shins might start to hurt or your calves or something and you, you keep going that is one threshold right there if you get past it that next mile and a half might be smooth sailing to where you're like oh man i can go another mile now i've experienced that in running myself i don't know if you do because you run a lot longer distances but i feel that like, that's one threshold that i've encountered physically and mentally that i am ready to quit but i tell myself keep going because once i get past this half mile mark the rest is smooth selling for the next mile and a half. So not sure if you've ever heard that, but that's one of my examples and threshold. 
Yeah, the runner's high is, I've certainly experienced that many times, and I, but I think people think it's just, you have to be a runner to feel that, right? It's just an expression that we use. I think that that is a lot of times after a breakthrough occurs, and that is a feeling that we get of euphoria. We've accomplished a lot that day. We know we've, in particular, on a breakthrough day, we know we've gone to new territory. We've accomplished new ground, and we feel excited about that. So instead of focusing on the pain and the discomfort, we end up focusing on the feeling of accomplishing something great. And then we just feel, we feel great. And we don't think about the discomfort as much as we would when we're say putting one foot in front of the other, but just see that mountain ahead of us that we still have to get to as opposed to getting to the point where you know that it's just one more step but you're gonna get there or you've broken through and gone to the other side and every step you take is getting you even further and that's exciting so you see a lot of times i think that's just a flow that an athlete will experience and when you have that kind of a flow that's what makes that runner's high or that athlete's high that that's something that again is very individual to the person i think the endorphins that are created are greater when you realize it's something that's going to serve your legacy and the kind of person you want to be so somebody else without the passion for running let's say that does the same thing as i would on a particular day on a particular mountain might not feel that same feeling at all they might feel that when they get through a particular circuit in the strength training that they're doing or they might feel that of course on their hunt when they get maybe to that same mountain but now they're after a particular game that gives them that why of getting up to that hill and realizing that wow all of that training i did all these steps i took is what allowed me to feel this way today. So I think it comes down to a lot of times the basics of just one more step and thinking I can do one more, I can get in one more step here, or I will, right? I can, I will. I will do this, I, I am capable of doing this. Those are the things that I believe most athletes, when they go into their training programs, they don't spend as much time thinking about that as I think they should. And it's the same when I say athletes, it's the same for anybody out there who's trying to get out on a hunt or even just finish their first 5k with their grandchild. It doesn't matter to me what the goal is knowing your why, but also having it serve your legacy. What is, what is the mindset around a threshold? Like I mentioned before was something going on with the coronavirus. You, you, you have this routine going on. You have a trainer. You might have a trainer. You might go to a public gym that you have a routine three or four days a week. You might go on walks around the neighborhood. You might be doing that with a group of people. All of a sudden it comes down. You can't do that. Gyms are closed. They, the government in every state in the country has made clear that if it's not a needed profession, like a hospital or a pharmacy, or a gas station or a food store that you shut down. So now one of your members or one of your clients or somebody that just has a, a gym pass membership, they can't do that. Now that threshold sets in like, oh man, I don't have somebody's supervision. I don't have somebody's support. I don't have somebody holding me accountable or my workout partner. <laughs> my gym is closed. I can't just drive down there and 
flash my card and go in, that's a threshold. Do I go outside? Do I even dare to go walk with a neighbor? You know, all of these things are going through people's minds right now. That So to me, I'm sitting here going, well, how does the body adjust to this when the mind is beaten? You know, like if the mind is telling you, man, I don't have a workout partner. I can't go work out. I'm going to lose. I'm going to gain weight. I'm going to be out of shape the next time it opens up. We don't know. There, There's a lot of unforeseen things going on right now. So let's let's keep it real quick to relative to what's going on in society right now of here's some things that you can do to make sure that when you do get back into that routine, you might not fall too far behind. You know what I'm saying? Because the mind is telling you, man, I'm screwed. But really in reality, but really in reality, but in reality, the body recovers very well. We're very lucky to be human beings because our bodies, you know, in most instances recover, you get drunk, you get hung over, you're like, I'm never doing that again. And then a week later, you're like, oh, it's party time again. They're working out. You're sore after a crazy workout. You're like, man, I'm not going back. And then that pain goes away and you can start to see results. You get addicted to it. So there's a lot of things that the body does that will surprise you. So touch on that a little bit, Matt, or tell a story or an experience that you've had of when somebody gets shut down, like we're getting shut down. Can we stay in shape? Will the body recover? How long does it take to get out of shape? It takes a lot longer to get in shape than it does to get out of shape if I if my memory serves me right because I've tried to stay consistent enough not to get real bad out of shape again but it seems like you will lose muscle and you will get out of shape faster than it takes to get into shape. So just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, I love your transparency. So sometimes it just helps to understand the science. I'll start with maintenance. If I'm working with an athlete like yourself that has really established some maturity in your training, actually doing, let's say you're doing three sets of something. We'll keep it very simple. And then I have you getting ready for your peak event and we purposely cut things down to just one set instead of three. You're used to three, but you're doing one. That one set will maintain your strength. You won't necessarily gain any more strength, but you'll maintain what you have as long as you have some maturity and you've been doing it long enough to where you have the muscle memory and you've built up a decent base. So the longer you've been doing it that way, actually the easier it is to hold on to those results. So depending on your gym age or your training age. And so when you look at what you can do though, and I think this is a perfect example of talking about what you can do and compared to what. So I like to first think, okay, this week, Chad, my gym had to shut down. It was mandatory. And of course, I want what's best for my clients too. Although in a private facility like ours, I don't think that my personal opinion is that it's not as easy to spread this virus when you're doing one-on-one -on -one training or very small groups and everybody is washing their hands and wiping things down. So I didn't necessarily think this was going to affect our gym. I think that the it's uh, important that we are controlling this, but the, I think this was mainly put out for the big gyms and I just happen to fall into a non-essential category. So our gym is shut down and we're complying, obviously. It's not something I planned on though. So what I can look at it though as 
I have the opportunity now to work on the ebook that we're working on together, you, myself, and Biden McGee. In fact, uh, the three of us were just talking before this podcast. I can't wait to get that ebook out to the listeners out there. And we are going to focus on hunting and conditioning, strength training, nutrition for hunters. But that's a lot of research and a lot of development that needs to occur to make a good quality ebook. And the three of us just talking together this morning, we had that opportunity because the three of us are not doing the same things we'd normally be doing on a Wednesday. I know I'd be busy at the gym. I know Bobby would be busy working with his athletes getting ready for the Olympics or qualifying. And of course, you'd probably be off on a hunt right now. You'd be at some expo, right? I I know that you keep yourself, uh, your calendar is very full. So it gave that type of an opportunity for us all to make something great. So that's point one is let's try to make lemonade out of lemons and look at what we can do, not so much at what we can't do. And the other part of compared to what to me is there's always people that have it harder or are in a situation that they can't control and that they're the ones that I feel for, whereas I'm actually very grateful for the position I'm in, even though I have overhead and my facility makes no money and then that's all a burden right now. I'm fortunate enough that my gym, for example, is mature enough and, and we have been doing this long enough that we can overcome a shutdown like this. Whereas if I was in my first or second year, I'd be in real trouble financially. So, you know, I'm grateful for that compared to what compared to even my former self 15, 20 years ago, this would have maybe put me out of business. I wouldn't be able to pay my bills a month later. So I feel for people going through that right now. But even if you are, there's things that you can do. And that's where I think of positive pain, getting back to thresholds, putting yourself in the positive pain cave and taking action, doing the things that you can control. So now let's talk about the gym. Most likely you can't get to a gym. Maybe even your home gym is, well, maybe some body weight is all you have. You don't even have anything else but you know a floor. You can, you can actually push yourself pretty... You can even, for an advanced athlete is what I'm saying, from beginner to advanced, just with your own body weight, you can really push yourself to pretty high levels and definitely make progress. If you're used to doing a movement, let's just say a single leg squat or a push-up, you're used to doing those at a tempo of, say, two seconds down and one second up. Well, just slow that tempo way, way, way down. Make the yielding isometric, say, at the bottom of the push-up when your nose is almost about ready to hit the floor and you're holding that position for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, then push up. Now, now you've changed the stimulus, and I guarantee you it's going to make it a lot tougher for you to get through that push up, even though you're used to it. And single leg squats, for example, most people I know, they're if they are doing uh, knee bend exercises, a lot of times they're doing 
traditional squats or a lot of bilateral two-legged movements, maybe it's time to revisit doing a Bulgarian squat on a single leg with your back foot elevated on a chair or a couch or something. So these are things that we can really take advantage of and start working on some of the challenges that we have mechanically that we just don't maybe spend as much time on that we should. So these things can definitely be done at home. And then the other thing that I constantly remind people of, you're a good example of this, Chad, where the most important muscle in the body is the heart. And yet we very often don't train it as much as we're training other parts of our body. We talked in the last episode about aesthetics a little bit more and how we see ourselves. But the, what we can't see in the mirror is what we often neglect. And I think the heart oftentimes is the biggest muscle that we neglect. So we have an opportunity to get outside. There's, with this, with this um, virus kind of quarantining all of us, there's nothing to say that you can't and shouldn't get out there, uh, get outside, hike the mountains, be outside with your with your family that you're quarantined with, make it a family event. But to get out there, get do more cardio than you've been doing. I guarantee most people are going to benefit exponentially. And that's how you're going to make lemonade out of lemons in a scenario like that. Instead of focusing on, well, I can't get to the gym. So I guess I'm just not going to do anything. That's not the right answer. Let's look at it in a positive way. I can do these things. And in fact, I probably should have been doing more of these things before this happened. Yeah. So you start to develop a sense of accountability with yourself. This might be a good time to really train those inner strengths that you might not necessarily have had when you were relying on your workout group or your trainer to make sure that you were being held accountable. So whether it's working out, whether it's nutrition and there's a food shortage, this might be a good time to not overindulge. This might be a good time to understand and learn portion control, um, making sure that everybody in the house is fed, making sure that there's leftovers just in case, you know, the, what, what they're saying could happen does happen. And then as far as the other parts of life, yeah, man, you, you look at the, the time that you can spend with your kids right now or with your quarantine family and, and do exercises, not mainly just physical, but play games, get some card games going, get a good movie and get an awesome hike in or a four wheel drive and or four wheeler ride and, and, and really get some good family time to where if it was a normal work week in the hustle and bustle of real life, there's that, the ability to see the good in something, you know, to know, Hey, this is, we have all of this in front of us. Let's not worry as much as we tend to in instances like this, which is common. And it's very easy to do as far as like income and making sure that your family's taken care of and that you're going to be able to pay your bills. But also, you know, your mind has to start being trained to look at the good side of things too. They always say, is the cup half empty or is it half full? Well, right now it's easy to say, man, we're in trouble. You know, businesses that are way, that are so prolific are being shut down right now for at least 30 days. Major League Baseball's on a 60 day hiatus from opening day. So you, everybody is feeling this. Nobody's, you know, not in the same boat that you are. It's easy to play the victim, but it's better to say, you know what? 
I'm going to do things to, when I do come out of this, nobody's going to be able to stop me now. I'm going to have a better family, uh, you know, chemistry with my kids, with my wife, with my mate, whoever it is. I'm going to train my body. I'm going to do mind exercises. I'm going to get organized. I'm going to start scheduling out. I'm going to start doing things with short-term and mid-term and long-term goals. And then when it's exercise time, go out and do, you know, three sets of 15 you know, jump squats, you don't have, you can do quarters and then jump off the ground a quarter of an inch, go down a quarter and come up, but just, you know, start working the quads, roll out a little bit, do some different abdominal exercises, oblique exercises, um, you know, using the correct form that you see, you know, whether you have a trainer that's taught you or whether you're on an ebook or whether you're on a video on YouTube, do something that is going to have you in a mindset that when this threshold passes and we all beat it, that it's now it's really time to roll and we're not going to be set back so far of depression or sadness or the victim game or out of shape or our cardio sucks or our nutrition went to shit because we got so sad. We're just like, oh, well, there's just a loaf of bread there. I'm just going to eat four pieces of toast for dinner. No, get creative. Last night I made stewed tomato relish and I got this recipe of that's very clean and it's it tastes awesome. And it's just stewed tomatoes and there and I made a little relish out of it that I can eat alongside, you know, a little bit of meat or wild game. And I made up a bunch of chicken yesterday. I made up a bunch of carne asada yesterday that was flattened out and tenderized out of wild game out of bison meat and venison meat. So I got real creative in the kitchen. I'm like, I could sit here all day and be down like, oh man, I wonder what's going to happen. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm a freaking provider. I, I do this stuff. Hunters have been doing this for years. You know, you look at like, oh my God, the stores are empty. Well, my freezers, all three of them are full. And I don't say that in a, in a way of nah, 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 shame on you. But people are against hunting. And now a lot of those people are going to rely on us to give them meats. And that's a good way to be to where hunters share, providers share, we're a provider. So I got up yesterday and I turned my kitchen into Martha Stewart and Rachel Ray meets redneck. And I started throwing down on all this creative things. And at the end of the day, I'm like, man, look at everything that we got done. My daughter was involved. We had an awesome dinner last night. So all of that combined is that threshold's there. Boom. It's right in front of us. We are screwed if you want to think that way. But me, I'm like, no, I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm in the shower doing squats in the shower, naked, letting the hot water hit me. And instead of just standing there, I'm using it as a time to work on form and keep my feet straight, get my knees in the right position to where I'm not, you know, they're not busting in and, and falling in. I'm trying to keep good form and I don't have a mirror in there. I should put a mirror in my shower. That would be really awesome. But I'm doing, I'm trying to just do little things to where I know that this Wednesday could turn into something that it might not be part of my regular routine. And that's what I'm, that's my mindset right now is I'm a provider. I'm going to do the things that it takes to get through this and come out even way better than we were when we went into it. And that's, if you think of just take a major league baseball player, for example, three weeks, these guys are, you know, these guys are getting paid, let's say 450,000 to $40 million a year. Some of them are getting paid a hundred thousand dollars an inning. They, they go into this thing called spring training and three weeks after they're getting their bodies in shape and their eye on the ball and their timing down on their swing and their arm in shape to be a pitcher and their drop step in the outfield, they're told you're done. 
individual workouts is all you got. So there you go. Now they're right in the same boat as I am or you are. We can either individually work out and get in shape and we're not going to have our big groups. We're not going to play games. They're told you're not going to play games for 60 days. First of all, they're not getting paid. It's a union deal. There's going to be discussions on that. Minor leaguers aren't going to get paid because they're not part of the union. And third of all, it's now the mindset is like, if we come back and we're not in shape and we don't have the ample amount of time to get in shape and our timing and everything, we're going to fail. If we win the World Series this year, they're going to say it wasn't a real World Series championship because the season was cut short. If I win an individual award like batting or silver slug or something, somebody's going to put an asterisk by it. All of these mental things are going in to the greatest athletes on earth. I was just with them last week in Arizona, talk, talking with them at a table, the same as we're talking right now, having guys that are worth millions and millions of dollars that get to play a kid's game as an adult and get paid, have worry. You would think, what do they have to worry about? They're freaking rich. Bullshit. It doesn't matter who you are. It's your mindset. Those guys have to drill themselves now on their own and wonder, do I go and stay with my team or do I stay with my family? All of those choices are not just you because you might not be in the right position in life. You might not, you might be going through a layoff, a breakup, something's going on. I'm telling you right now, the the richest, baddest ass athletes and businessmen in the world right now are in the same boat. And it's up to us to figure out how to get through this. Everybody's in it. It doesn't matter what demographic you're from, what color you are, what race you are, what creed you are, what income level you are. We're all here. So it's up to you to say, all right, I might not be making as much money as I want to right now. This is my time to get ready and come out of the freaking shoots running like a stallion in the Kentucky Derby, which has got postponed also. That's never happens. The Kentucky Derby is always in April or May, and now it's going to be in November or September or something. Everything is messed up right now. So the greatest horses in the world that were in shape for that have to stay in shape for six months down the road, five months down the road from now. It's all relative. How do you look at it and how do you make yourself better by taking this threshold on and figuring out what your edge is, which is what we're going to go into is like, how how do you find that edge? You find it in times like this. Yeah. You brought up so many good points. My wife and I were joking around that uh, between you and Les Nesbitt are hunting friends we're going to be okay if we need to come over here and uh get some some grub from you i'm sure you'll take care of us right oh yeah i got tons of so does less <laughs> yeah so this is uh the provider mentality though i think this is something i've always really wanted to learn more about myself when it comes to you i i keep threatening to to actually learn how to harvest but at some point i know i've got to really buckle down and do that because the provider mentality i think is is so important. And I would like to switch into that gear though, of talking about how we can provide right now, because for some of us, we might start feeling a little bit helpless. And I know for myself, I'm used to being able to work a lot of hands-on with my athletes and be able to help them more and serve them more. I'm already sort of lacking that provider mentality or, or feeling like I'm making a difference right now. Although I know that I can make these videos, for example, that I'm putting out that will help people do workouts at home and, and allow them some, give them some answers and allow them to get into shape while we're going through this crisis. So that's, I feel good about that, but I also have that sort of neglect in my life right now where I don't feel I'm serving as much as I could be. And just an example, I was at the grocery store and 
first of all, at the grocery store, it's been crazy to me that all the toilet paper is, you know, it's, it's gone. Right. It's, and you think to yourself, uh, am I missing something? What, why, why, why is all the toilet paper gone? I don't really get that. But also we need to think about others. And I was just walking past a little old lady in the aisle and she said, excuse me. And, and she wanted me to reach up to the top of the shelves and get her some distilled water. So I said, no one walked away. No, I'm just kidding. I, so of course I helped her out with that, but it, it was the last one, Chad, the last distilled water. And she said, I need this for my respirator. And I thought to myself, you know, I get that people are a little bit nervous and they're they're buying everything out that they can and stocking up their shelves at home. But let's also take the time to think about the fact that other people might need these things more than we do. And let's not buy every single last one and fill up our cart because there's 10 left. I'll just buy all 10 there's somebody who might really need what we're buying out. Um, it's something as simple as the hand sanitizers. I mean, in my own facility, our hand sanitizer disappeared <laughs> and I went to go get some more. And I, we had a big one by the first aid kit and I went to go get some more. This is before we shut down and I couldn't find any anywhere. And I'm thinking that the the hand sanitizer is that's more relevant, but at the same time, we can maybe leave an extra one on the shelf for somebody else is 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 my thought process. And then the other part about serving others is thinking about maybe there's somebody in your life that's elderly that you could go shopping for because I know that waiting in line the other day to buy my food and my groceries i probably waited for a half an hour at least and elderly people they don't need to be out in the grocery stores or anybody who's at a higher risk and so maybe you can do that for them and even leave it at their doorstep or something and i think that's a way that we can find a way of serving others and feeling useful at the same time because it certainly gives back a lot when we help others and it may be just in a less traditional sense than we're used to so um you know anybody out there listening that um you know has a a grandmother or grandfather or even a neighbor that needs that kind of help uh consider doing that yeah i think it all goes back to you know that that mentality of you know are you able to provide and make those decisions to, or at least start working towards that level? You don't have to be a hunter or a killer or a harvester to be a provider, but you have to be able to think on those lines that you're saying. It's like, I haven't been shopping once. I had one guy pick up just a little bit of vegetables for me. And I was, and I started to think about that while you're talking of, man, maybe I'm unprepared. And then I started thinking deeper into it while you're talking. I'm like, no, I, I've, I've prepared for this mentally because of the moves I make as a provider of not necessarily letting that threshold get in my way. Because if you challenge yourself enough in life, I think if you have those goals in life, if you if you don't settle for mediocrity, if you really want to become a better version, I think your daily pre preparation and is getting you ready for this. Every day that you live with the right mentality, you don't ever have to hit the panic button. You might have to go, oh man, if this happens, 
I'm going to have to do this. Well, I tell myself if I run out of meat in my freezers, which it's going to take a while and I'll share with whoever I need to, whoever has to have meat or runs out, I'll go kill another one out of season and risk the ticket. If you have to, I know how to go kill a deer. I know how to go find a rabbit and get him close enough to kill. I know how to go get it done. And I start telling myself, well, that's the worst case scenario, right? But all of the decisions I made going into, let's say the last year, I look at it and I'm like, man, I do have a good ample amount of wild game in my freezer. Wow, I do have a good ample amount of hand sanitizer because we're always using hand sanitizer in what we do in hunting when we wash our hands. And I'm always, I have it in my truck. I have it in the trailer. And I'm always saying, telling people, hey, do what you need to do to make sure that we're killing the bacteria that we're putting ourselves in the, into the dirty water, into the mud, into these different crops, into these manure piles, potentially. <laughs> we have no idea where these wild animals have been living once they come into our decoy spread or, or whatever the case might be. So you're always making decisions potentially that are preparing you for this. And now I'm sitting here going, I'm so glad that I did that because I'm not taking that lady's water. I'm not taking something that might need maybe soybean milk or something that somebody with the allergies needs. You know, that's a big push today now is going out and looking for these different labels that are being, you know, in the, in the different food aisles and supermarkets and not buying that necessarily if you don't need it. So is it greed? Is it scare? Is it panic? All of that's like, man, people are wiping out all of this stuff when there's somebody out there that might really need it. So I'm sitting there going, all right, if you do the right things, and you, and you start to, I'm not saying that you have to live perfect every day. I'm saying if you start to challenge yourself to make these decisions as a routine, I don't think, I think that once you, you know, get to this area in your life or this, this potential threshold, man, aren't you prepared more? I feel like I'm prepared for some reason. I'm not, I'm not sitting here taking it for granted going, oh, these guys are full of shit. And I'm not buying into conspiracy theories of like, oh, they're doing this to get Trump out of office or somebody in China's pissed off because of the embargoes or the tariffs or whatever. I'm sitting here going, I feel prepared. I feel like I can take care of me and mine. And I feel that it's because of all of the right executions leading up to it and having that right mindset and that right approach and finding that, you know, that edge and, 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 and feeding that daily. I don't know if that's correct. I don't know if that's arrogant saying that. I'm saying that I feel prepared that I have the, I've developed this mentality of being able to have the meats, the ammo, the necessities to survive this and help others survive it if needed. I'm not saying that we're going to war. I'm not saying that the apocalypse is coming and we're going to be running around with guns and anarchy and all this shit. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that when you're talking, I'm sitting there going, man, I haven't even been shopping. I haven't panicked once. Made sure my mom was okay. Make sure that we got the freezers ready. Make sure that the power's on. There's some things that could go really bad in an instance like this that we have to be prepared for. What if, what if we lose our electricity? What if the power companies are forced to shut down? Is that, a, is that an option in this? I don't know. I didn't think that three days ago we were going to be where we're at today. I got off the plane in Phoenix going to have a cold beer and watch baseball. And I get off and look at the airport TV and it says all baseball's canceled. Done. I said, man, I need to get back on the plane and go home. Went to work, made sure that Alyssa was okay with the ex-wife, made sure that the family was okay. And I went to work down there and did the most I could to get the most out of it 
because I could have got right back on a plane and came back here and I would have been in the same boat of what am I going to do? What kind of work can I get done? I got work done. I didn't go, man, this sucks, man. We're victims. We're, we're all in the same boat. You don't think that thousands of other people are upset that they don't get to watch baseball. There's a lot bigger deals. There's a lady that needs water for her respirator and we might run out of purified water or distilled water, um, to where she has the, to make sure her lungs are okay. And she's at a higher rate of getting sick or having it affect her worsely or in a worse matter. So it's all like, man, did I make the right moves throughout my routine? All the, not just now I'm not panicking going, Oh, I got to do shit right now. It's about developing these things, these routines, these the platforms, these approaches, these mental, you know, the mental aspects it takes to be prepared for something like this when you don't even know it's coming. And all of a sudden, voila, it's here. And I'm sitting here going, man, I'm prepared. I'm, I really feel like I'm prepared for something like this. And I didn't do anything last minute. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I know that a lot of people have to get things done last minute because there weren't. But I think that the right mental approach and mindset helps you be ready for something like this. And I, and I, and I, we throw this name around a lot, but I just got back from Rick and he was down in Phoenix with me. I don't know if you saw the pictures and stuff, but, um, Rick and I had several talks when we were down there and he's prepared as heck, you know, where he just was before he came to Phoenix. No, before all of this went down, he was in Cuba in Havana. Oh yeah. Seeing the socialism and seeing the real, the people, the way people live over there. And then he comes over here and he's like, brother, we got it so good here. And he feels like he's prepared for this because of his mindset every day. And he's got hundreds and hundreds of employees. So it's all here. Here we are with George Brett, Ricky there. Oh, yeah. He was a kid in a candy store. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, it's just one of those things of like, are we making the right decisions daily to be prepared in an instance like this? And then we wouldn't have to go to the store and buy all the toilet paper. We would be able to say, we can get by with this if this happens. That's all there is to it. I mean, I just don't know what to say other than you, you, you can develop the right mindset and approach to be ready for something. Maybe not as drastic as this could end up getting, and we don't know where it's going to go. But I feel right now, I'm not scared of, of not being in a position to take care of my family if it were to get there. Yeah, and I think this is also a good opportunity to talk about being comfortable being uncomfortable and getting used to that type of mindset, which also leads us into the threshold conversation of how do we push past our thresholds? Because this whole situation with the virus and the quarantines and everything we're going through, the unexpected essentially is what makes us uncomfortable, I, I think at least. And when you're feeling uncomfortable, and I think everybody, at least in one way or another, is feeling uncomfortable in this situation that we're all in together, you're forced to take action if you expect to succeed. And it's really not about our thoughts. We can think it all day, but we have to take action. And so what routines that we create for ourselves, I think will dictate as long as we follow through with them, they'll dictate where we can get to and what we want to be able to achieve. So when we take that first step out the door and we decide, okay, I'm going to listen to that Pandola guy. I'm going to get out and start working on my heart. He's right. I haven't done much in conditioning, so I can't go to the gym. So I, but I can walk out the door and I can start with that. And that first morning that you decide you're going to do that and it's 5:30 in the morning 
and you don't want to go because you're used to doing something different or going to the gym and you enjoy lifting weights, but now you're going to go hike that hill or whatever, go, go to, let's say a brand new area that you haven't done before. And you're going to challenge yourself just by doing some, I don't know, hill repeats in the park or something. This is something that takes time because you don't have anything necessarily to look forward to. You don't have anything to compare it to. Maybe, maybe it's not something you've done in your routine before. So taking that first step is the hardest, but you have to take action. I, I just, I don't mean to be negative, but I am so sick of hearing people tell me about how they're not where they want to be. They're not happy. They don't like their lives. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but you're in control of it though. You, you have the choice to take that first step out the door. So just do it. I, I feel like a lot of times there's too much talking about doing something. Uh, whenever I go to a party, I mean, I, every single time I come to one of your events, I really enjoy talking to everybody, but these, these topics always come up and I, I think it's a good thing that people are taking the time to talk to me and that they do want to do something positive for themselves. But I will say that a year later, I tend to have a lot of the same conversations with the same person again. And I'm just telling them over again, maybe they need to hear it more than once, but I'm telling them over and over several times you need to take action. We've talked about this. It's just that you haven't actually done it. You haven't committed to it or not long enough. You know, another, another thing that I hear a lot about is I did it for a few weeks, but it didn't work. Well, you just gave me the answer right there. Three weeks is not enough and, and anything worth accomplishing. It takes way longer than three weeks to accomplish it. So maybe you didn't accomplish it in the, or you weren't taking the most efficient steps yet, but at least if you were taking steps, you're getting somewhere. I doubt that you got nowhere with your efforts, even though you were doing it consistently at some point, you might learn to do it better, but at least start doing it, whatever it is. See what I'm saying? Oh yeah. You got, I mean, there's so many different examples I think of when you're talking on and experiences and stories of that almost like you hear, I did it for a couple of weeks and it wasn't for me or I got injured and I never went back or I took on a new job and I never went back, but they're still not exactly satisfied with where they're at or they're trying to pick your brain on, are they trying to stay relative with you? Like they want you to think like they're going to really take that next step or is this just another conversation that I'm going to go through the motions And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people like myself or like Aaron, your wife, who, and she's on a totally different level of fitness than I am, but I can't even take a compliment when somebody says, man, you look good. Or when you say, man, you don't have man tits. I go, you're wrong. I do. I'm going to work out harder. Aaron hears, man, Aaron, you look really good. Aaron, you're kicking ass in martial arts. Oh yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's going okay. Yeah. I'm having a hard time keeping my balance on this one exercise. I don't know how many times I've heard her and I don't know the word I'm looking for, but I, it's like deferring. I defer. If you're going to compliment me, I'm going to just move to the side and let it hit me in the shoulder. And then I'm going to let it bounce off. And then you tell somebody else that they're looking good. Cause I don't want to hear it. And Aaron's the same way. She defers 
nope, boom, just let it hit me. And then you tell Stoker that his calves look good today because I don't want to hear it. And I see that in people that, that, that are very goal orientated to where they have a hard time. When I hear somebody tell me something good about myself, I change the subject as fast as they bring it up. It's, and they're always like, man, he doesn't want to talk about that. And I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about me because I feel that that is be, it potentially can become like when you're at my party and you get that same person coming up to you because Matt's got his arms looking good or he's, it looks in shape or everybody knows his, his reputation precedes him. Like, oh, that's Matt Pandoli's in good shape. So I'm going to act like I'm going to be the next guy to take that road. And I'm sitting here going, I don't even want anybody to refer to me as one of Matt's clients that night or Chad's really gotten in great shape working with Matt because I just defer it as, as fast as I can. And I think that that comes with my mentality of not wanting the story about me. Now, I, I don't want that to sound like, oh, people are going to go, oh, well, he's in articles. Well, I love the ability to drive a brand. But personally, I'm talking right now, and Aaron would be the same way, I think, and I think you are too, of you aren't afraid to take your shirt off. I'm not either at the beach. But when somebody says, if I have my shirt on and I'm mocking, like I told you, the guy at the SHOT Show walked up to me and goes, man, what are you doing? You look unreal. I deferred it like that. Just change the subject. Oh, so how's business? And I don't know if, you know, and I'm going off on a little bit of a, a, of a, a side road here, but I think that that is the part of that mindset that you're saying like, oh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to get in it. And then I'm over here doing it, but I'm deferring it to the next guy of like, I don't need the credit or the attention for doing it. So it all is relative to like, what are you doing it for? If you're telling Matt that you are going to get started or that you were started, but you had a threshold come up or a road bump or a speed bump and it prohibits you from going back. What are you telling him this for? Are you, are you trying to get instant gratification or validation or validity in something right away for Matt to go, oh no, you look great. Oh no, we could get you in shape in a hurry. Oh no, no, he's not going to beat, beat around the bush and blow smoke up your ass. He's going to tell you it's going to take a long time. It's going to be hours and hours of consistence and persistence and sweat and pain and aggravation and balancing and equilibrium and failure and feeling like you're, you're an idiot because you can't perform an exercise or you can't keep up with a 70 year old man on a jump rope, you're going to have a lot of shit put in your face. And if you're going to stay with it, then you're going to see the results, but don't be the person that's going to be like, Oh, I just want, I just want to pick his brain for a little bit and then never take the next steps because the people that are doing it aren't the ones that are sitting there looking for somebody to go, Oh no, you can do this or you can do that. It's the mindset of like, look, I got to take the steps myself to get started or to maintain it or to stay in it or whatever. Because Aaron, I, I was talking to Aaron before the gym got shut down. And just a quick story. I said, Hey, I'm back. I want to work out. She said, I'm going to be there at five. Meet me at five twenty. I said, for what? She goes, well, I'm going to do sprints and run for for 20. And then we're going to do strength training for the last 40. And I'm like, one, I was a little bit irritated because she's like, oh, she doesn't think I can keep up with her running, which I can't, but just to assume it is bullshit. And then and then, and then she says, well, meet me at five, at, at five twenty, and we're going to work out until six or six fifteen, Right. So I'm sitting there going, you've got to, this girl is so motivated that she could easily take the next week off, but she's going to go in earlier 
She's going to do what it takes it on top of her already being in unbelievable shape and a black belt and a second degree black belt and everything she's training for. Now she's going to go in at, and that means that she has to leave her house at four, 420 or 430 to get there by five, probably be, get there at 455 to get ready to run at five. So if you think about just that right there, she's not somebody that's just getting started. She's somebody that's in a routine. She's in great shape. And most importantly, she could run any time during the day that she wants, as long as me is taken care of in the gym and business is taken care of. And she could take as many days off as she wants and not lose that edge right away. Her mindset is like, you know what? I'm going to do what it takes to maintain or to even get better. And that is the whole thing is that she is making those decisions now to prepare because she understands that it could be taken away at any time. How did she know the gym was going to be shut down? She didn't. She was going to go in. She went in at five o'clock in the morning and did her workout when she doesn't have to. So it's all in how you look at those people that walk up to you and go, man, you look great. Whatever. How's business? I defer it because the last thing that I want to do is have them go, what are you doing? And I'm going to go, well, I'm, uh, I'm intermittent fasting. Well, how do you do that? Well, I don't eat anything in, from eight o'clock at night until noon. What? You're freaking crazy. Yeah, I am. It's, it's hard. It's freak. I'm starving right now. I cooked my daughter this morning. I cooked my daughter the most unbelievable wild boar bacon. It's in there right now and scrambled eggs. She didn't want a breakfast burrito. She wanted them separated. And when I smelled it, I'm like, I want to eat all this bacon. I want three eggs. And I want, I want, uh, and then I drink whatever I want as far, as long as no calories, right? I didn't touch any of it and I'm starving, but the old me would have just hammered that and not stuck to it. Whether or not me fasting and not eating that bacon and that egg today will have any effect at me at all at looking better or my aesthetics or my vanity or my heart or my heart condition or losing a pound or getting a little bit more cut in my V in, in my lower abs, whether or not it is or not, my mindset is telling me that it is. So it would have been easy for me to chow it, but my mindset and my approach right now is the intermittent fast six days a week. So I'm going to do it. I'm not going to take a bite of food after 8 PM or before noon. I very easily could. I live by myself. I have my daughter with me. I could go into the kitchen and do whatever I want at nine 30 at night or a midnight snack. But so my mind's telling me, do this. And that's going to make me better in my opinion. So when that person says, what are you doing? Or I can do that. And I'm, I'll just finish with this is like, I just sit there and go, I defer it. Not that I won't have a conversation and tell them, Hey man, if you want to get started, you know, here's one step that you can take, but I defer it so quick because I don't want the attention on me or the results that I'm getting. The, the, the article in muscle and fitness, it did not have one picture and they asked for them of me working out or what do I look like with my shirt off or any results. It didn't have that. It just had a mindset and an approach. I didn't have to go in there and rah, rah, rah myself of being like, I am getting the results. Like, I mean, even though I deserve that and I'm, a, and I, and I'm entitled to that because of the hard work, I still defer it. No, here's the approach. Here's the workout Matt gives me. Here's some quotes on our approach and our mindset and what we do. You take it for you take it from there. What are you going to take out of that as the reader or the somebody that wants to get something out of that? I don't need somebody going, man, you're juiced up. You're not juiced up like in juice, but you look good. You, 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 you've, you're cut up your tone. I don't need it. I defer it right away. Man, you got awesome. I was, I was hitting down in Arizona, man, your calf muscles. I just turn around and defer it, man. I feel a little bit off balance today with my swing. 
It's like, that is part of my mindset. Like, I don't want to hear it. I don't need to just go to work. Just go to work. Erin doesn't need anybody to tell her that she has a smoking body. She just goes to work. That's all she does. She doesn't ever, ever sit there and go, man, I'm going to look at myself in nonstop. And she might look at herself in the mirror and she's entitled to that. She deserves that. But she goes to work, period. And she does the things that those people in my kitchen are talking about doing, but always finds some reason not to go to work. Yeah. So talking about training for your athletics versus your aesthetics, and we've, we've talked about that in the past a little bit too, but to visit or touch upon that subject a little bit, I think it's right now important for listeners to look at their relative function. And, and we talked about that before where, how is it serving you? How can you use your fitness towards your lifestyle, your goals and your legacy? So the aesthetics do come when you're consistent with the athletic training and what used to be important to Erin, she started off as a professional dancer. And so obviously it started off with athletics, but of course the aesthetics came and then there was a period in her lifetime when she was younger where she was absolutely looking for more validation. People would compliment her on her body and she found that she needed to hear that and she didn't like that feeling that she was training sometimes and even overdoing it because she was trying to get a certain result for a certain expectation that others had of her. So she started to get into her martial arts more and she got after it and she got her black belt. She was awarded best tester. That brought her back to her athletics again. And now she does that in Spartan racing and things like this to where she is really focused on not only her athletics, but more importantly, being the example for our daughter, Mia. And I think that's why she really, first of all, yes, it's part of her personality. Even back in the day when Les told her she had a super duper pooper and she was uh, sort of in her quote unquote prime. She didn't really like to hear that. She deferred it right away. But I know that she actually did like hearing that, right? Whereas now it'd be, well, that's nice, but I'd rather you tell me that you're impressed with the uh, obstacle course I just finished or the run I just accomplished or the grappling move that I just learned. She She's definitely more geared towards that. And especially, again, when we talk about legacy, her legacy is to be a good example for our daughter Mia and for others. So that's why I think things have changed a little bit for her and her threshold. That is what I think is a part of the conversation when it comes to threshold is why it is an individual thing because consistency is very much a part of what you're saying and it's a part of somebody's threshold. So let me explain compared to what if you have not spent a lot of time training and you have not done this training consistently then your perceived effort is going to be far different than if you advance yourself through repetition and training and consistency and now when you're putting yourself through something that might be a little bit more difficult you've been there several times before it eventually comes to the point where I'm not trying to brag here, but I was telling you guys in class the other day about how I was asked to bring out some 
runners on a course that was very, very difficult getting ready for the obstacle course um, championships and also for the trail world championships. I tend to do more kind of tough terrain type of running. And yet all these runners were faster than me. When we hit this course, we're doing it because we wanted to put them into a more proprioceptively rich environment. We wanted to challenge them in different ways, get their bodies stronger, even though their main focus is running fast and on the track. These are some world-class athletes, but they were being really quiet. And then one of the athletes told me afterwards, he said, it was just because it was just so hard, coach. And I didn't even think, honestly, it was hard. And I'm there yet. They're much faster than me. They're they're in their prime. I'm well past mine. So it really got me to thinking, wow, I'm just so used to running these mountains in this type of terrain and and just managing this type of pain positively. So this is the positive pain approach I talk about. And doing that consistently just means to me, this is no longer um, an eight or a nine or a 10. This to me is a, maybe a six on a scale of one to 10. So that means that I can push myself a little further than I used to be able to. So I think that a lot of threshold comes down to what are you used to and what it what are you used to consistently? Let's start there. And then as you start to move that level up with your fitness and your readiness, and that readiness is definitely a lot mental, right? So the central governor in your brain will ultimately tell you how hard something is and decide whether or not you're going to shut something down or not. So don't get me wrong. You can't just walk on to a track and run a sub four minute mile because you think you can, but the training it's suspected over time that we've trained athletes like this, the training has really taught us that all it's really not all it's doing, but a lot of what it's doing is it's actually teaching us how to mentally deal with the discomfort little by little and allowing us to do more each progression. And yes, we're getting more physically fit, but there is a point where you look at the world's best and there's no real significant difference in their fitness. Just pick the sport you want to. There's no real huge differences anymore. There may be one outlier here and there, but for the most part, it's it's pretty. The mean is is pretty average there for that level. What separates the athletes at that point is the central governor is their recognition and their readiness mentally. So I'll cap this part off with just um, a little uh, example with my daughter. We were going out and yesterday we went outside, took took the dog out. We we're fortunate enough, again, looking at compared to what we can just open up our back gate and thankfully, we have a little protected reserve area behind our house that can't get developed on. So we get to hike with her, and that's actually a big part of why we even bought the house where we bought the house. So we went out yesterday. My daughter was kind of cooped up inside all day, and we're going to get out some, get some exercise. So, of course, she wants to race me. So the first race, she's eight. So the first race we did, it was a little bit longer. And no, I didn't 
try to go 100% to beat her, but I was really honestly just impressed with the pace that she kept up because she hit my sort of my race pace for uh, trail racing that would be a 21K. She hit that for like a minute. And then I started catching up to her. And then we got to the finish line and she said, Hey, daddy, you weren't going all out, right? And I said, no, not not all out, but I was definitely trying and I'm really, really impressed with you. And she said, so what's the difference between where I'm at right now and where you're at? And I said, well, time and training, it's kind of what I'm used to saying. And then she said, so just like when I'm your age, I'll be able to run as fast as you for as long as you. And I thought about that for a minute and I don't want her to think it just comes. So I said, well, no, you, you definitely have to earn it. So you, you don't just get it. You have to decide that you're going to be consistent with something and you have to earn it and learn it and really commit to it. But once you have committed to that process and you are consistent with it, yes, of course, you can be as fast as me one day or faster. And I just think back of all of the times in my life when I was not the best guy out there. I was not the most competitive guy. There were other people that had more talent or, you know, their genetics that were maybe superior to mine in some ways. But the one thing that they couldn't beat me on was up here. In my mindset, I knew that if I kept working hard, I would eventually get there. And it might have taken me longer to get there, but now looking back at my competitive career, I don't think there's anybody that was beating me in my prime or in their prime that can beat me today. It just took me a while to get there. So that time and training and consistency is part of the threshold that we're talking about. And um, I'd like to ask you, Chad, though, the world's best, and this can be in any category, they have one thing that I believe is in common. Every single one of them, despite what the goal is. So that one thing, and this is more on the mental side of things, can you guess what that is? So you're talking about the world's best in their respected fields, whether it's athletics or whether it's business or surgeons or whatever? Yes. Hmm. I would like to say the ability to fail... You got would, it. You got it. But I, I started thinking like, like if you don't, like if you think about a surgeon on that, they don't want to, they don't want to ever think about failure because there's more at stake than missing a jump shot or a hurdle. But I think that knowing, you know, having no fear of failure as far as like, I'm not afraid to fail. Yeah. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately too. I'm glad you brought up medical uh, school or, or a doctor, for example. So, but, but it is the 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 fear of failing they don't have, or their ability to deal with failure. No, I think they fear it. I think we all, you know, we, none of us want to inherently fail. But the world's best are they failed more than you have. We'll put it that way. So, in other words, whenever I'm looking at somebody that I look up to, and and I kind of maybe even envy where they're at they took bigger risks than I've taken, right? You've taken bigger risks than I've taken so far. I'm, I'm honestly following your example as closely as I can and starting to take bigger risks myself because I realize that I'm risk versus reward. I can't expect the rewards if I'm not willing to take the risk and I just want to stay in my comfort zone. And that could be financially or otherwise. There's, there's a point I have to be responsible because I have a little girl that's, you know, that's relying on me to take care of her. But 
beyond that compared to what I'm in a much better position than I've been in in the past. And that also means I can be too comfortable and I stop taking the risks I should. So that's that's a part of it. But they have all learned to fail forward and they're all failing more than you are. That's the world's best. You look at, you know, Babe Ruth and baseball. Everybody, even people who don't play baseball know Babe Ruth because he was the original home run king, right? But he struck out way more many times than, than he hit home runs, but everybody just remembers the home runs, of course. And I just think in general, we're so afraid of failing. Like, well, what if I do this and I don't make it? You're, you're focused on the outcome, not the process. And the process is failing forward. The process is failing every single day and just deciding that you're not going to give up. And that is threshold too. That's why when you first asked me this question, starting this podcast today, I know I should have been, had some generic answer, but there is not a generic answer to this. This is find out what's holding you back. Write a list. If you're listening right now and you're really motivated, start, write a list, okay? So pros and cons, stop, start, okay? Write a list. Stop doing these things. Start doing these things. Open mindset, closed mindset, however you want to think about it. You are stopping yourself from doing things. So I have an example for myself of what I needed to stop doing and then what I could start doing, all right? So I've shared, I think, before, but I'll say again, I, so I have ADD. It, can, it was really debilitating growing up as, as a, a student to, to the point where I really, I, I was emotionally distraught over it and depressed, um, really insecure. And you talked about before people who brag on themselves versus people who deflect I actually, when I was younger, you wouldn't believe this now. I didn't talk. And I mean, I'm, you know, people just want me to shut up now. Hopefully not on this podcast, but yeah. <laughs> excuse me. But but the I didn't talk. I stopped talking because I thought everything I was saying was stupid. And and I was also that was reinforced. I, I, I there's there's a lot of people out there listening, I'm sure that have went through this in one form or another, but in our school system, especially back in the day, you, you needed to kind of fit into the system. And even though I was a polite kid, because I wasn't learning the way the other kids were learning and certainly not at the rate that they were learning, I was just the, you know, the kid in the corner with the dunce hat on that you might as well just keep your mouth shut and hope the teacher just leaves you alone. And I had to stop thinking I was stupid. And Chad, I'm willing to be transparent here and admit that this is still a struggle for me to this day. I feel like an imposter whenever I'm giving advice in my own field. And you, I, please don't stop listening. I, I promise what I'm telling you. I've researched, I learned, I've verified, I understand it. I've lived it with my athletes for years and years and years. But that's how insecure I can still be about myself. And I have to decide that I'm going to do something about it. So what I need to start doing is recognizing what works for me when it came to my learning behaviors and my patterns. And I talked before on my podcast about a man named Stan Goldstein, who was a doctor. And he saw these patterns in me, but he also 
for whatever reasons, and I still to this day don't know what it was, but he saw the potential in me. And this guy had no reason to go out of his way for me, but he did. And he taught me different ways that I could learn in my own process. And eventually I understood that this ADD was never going to go away, but that I could do something about it and I could control what I did now. And I could start to use these tools to start learning the things that I wanted or needed to learn for my legacy. And once I started doing that, I started making progress. So just as an example, I will take those, um, um, you know, when you're, you're, uh, yeah you you know those soundproof hearing protection noise cancellation noise cancellation thank you i just kind of blanking on that term but yeah i would i take those i put that headset on that's step one so i can really focus when i'm writing or reading things like that and it just kind of clears me and of course i will keep myself in a closed setting if i can another step that i take though is i write down pen to paper lots and lots of details and bullet points. And then I will finally start to go into more of a set pattern that is going to work towards an action for what I'm writing about. So that's a part of the process that I need to have. And once I learn that I actually can learn just in that way, I started to get more confident. I started to talk about what people can do to achieve success. When they were asking me about how they should train, I started answering them with confidence because I should have confidence. I did the work, I did the research, and I realized that, wow, I'm not stupid. I just had to do this differently. Is is there something that was stopping you in your life, Chad, or something that you failed at that you learned to succeed in? Oh, yeah, nonstop. I mean, I have my whole life as far as <clears throat> athletics went. I mean, I still get teased to this day by guys like Jim Ray about, you know, how I was a, a badass at Camp Wheeze. Well, I only went to Camp Wheeze because I was an asthmatic. And asthma made me fail a lot more probably before I even got started because of the mindset that was driven into me about exercise induced asthma or what happens if I don't have my puffer or my inhaler close by. So I would get teased about my puffer. So, you know, you didn't want to run with the clan because you knew that you were going to fall behind because your lungs and your bronchial tubes were going to do something that theirs weren't. And it was going to prevent me from being a runner or a sprinter or somebody that could keep up with the pack. So I was always self-trained for me to take it easy. Don't go all out. You know, don't be the guy that's on the wrestling mat. I always had a fascination with wrestling. Don't know if it was because I grew up watching WWE, but I always wanted to be on the wrestling mat and do real wrestling. But then when I would get into it, I would find out that I would be smoked in a hurry because of my, uh, my ability or my inability to condition right and to get my lungs in shape. So I would fail miserably at everything I did from football training to wrestling training to not being able to go snow skiing because I, I just felt like I I couldn't do the exertion and it wasn't that I couldn't, it was that I trained myself to say I couldn't do it because whether or not it was my pediatrician or my asthma doctor or my allergist telling me, Hey, you got to be careful this. You can't eat this. You got to stay away from this food and this food. So I trained myself to, to even today, 
even though I don't, I probably don't need to carry my inhaler with me. I carry an EpiPen because of the allergens I have, but I probably don't need to carry my puffer with me to the gym as much as I do. But I'm, I already preconditioned myself. I've got to have my inhaler, got to be able to hit that puffer if I need it. And it was like that when I was seven, when I was in Pop Warner and when I was in Little League. So yeah, I failed a lot because I got my ass kicked athletically because I always thought that I was going to start wheezing. Yeah. So I actually learned a lot as a coach working with athletes like you. I call it in control, ready to roll. And this is actually an affirmation that a lot of my athletes use. But if you have trouble with your breathing, for example, we can control that. We can take the proper steps. First step would be really let's get in a proper warm up. And I did see that even in your training, I don't know if you remember, but we, you used to kind of jump into your training quicker. You weren't really fully warmed up yet. In other words, you didn't drop, you didn't raise your body temperature that 1%. You didn't get break a sweat before you were doing things that were harder. So in other words, we don't want to jump your heart rate up too quickly. And this is actually a very important step when we talk about threshold again, guys, because when you're in that pain cave and when you're getting towards that pain cave, if you're focused on what you can control, odds are you're going to be able to take that next step and the step after that and stay in the moment and stay focused now by working on the intrinsic. So there's a reason why you've probably heard in over the years, even if you had a high school coach that you were in sport with that would tell you focus on your form or focus on your breathing. It gives you internal feedback to, to bring your focus to so that you're not thinking about the pain as much and you don't stress out and start hyperventilating, for example. Because if your mind shifts to, I can't breathe right now, you're going to start freaking out. And what you focus on is what you feel. That's a very important mindset uh, tip that I've learned over the years and I've executed that with my athletes. So what can you can control? You can control your breathing. For example, taking three steps where you're breathing in and two steps where you're breathing out. My athletes can always revert to those type of things if they are feeling like they're losing control. When they get to a three, two, they're going to start to feel in control again. And maybe there was actually, maybe they were actually going a little bit too hard too soon, or maybe they were hitting a wall there and they needed to do something to bring their heart rate back down. So there's a physical benefit to that, but I think it's more mental than anything where you're just giving again, something to control yourself in. So that's part one to me is focus on your breathing because that's something that you can control and then the other thing I think is when you are in a state where your legs just say are just in the hurt zone. So let's bring it to hunting to where we are now. You, you've talked before about how you've got to get up quickly, get out of the blinds, re, maybe uh, get, get cover some ground in some mud or some really difficult terrain, some, uh, you know, trudging through water, right? And you're, you're doing this quickly and you're getting winded very quickly. And then you have to get back into the blinds and you have to get ready again for your next um, shot. Shot. Okay. So th this is a perfect example, I think, of 
working in your training to learn to control that breathing pattern. So the more you do it in your training, the more likely it's going to be automatic for you in your hunt. And that's something that they refer to more in your open and closed loop training progressions, but it's, you can even think of it as open and closed mindset, right? So I have an open mindset about my breathing now because I have trained this way and I did bring it in a slower approach to my breathing. So now that when I'm going into a more of an urgent situation, I'm confident in what I'm doing, but then you get into that blind again and you have to get ready for that next shot and you have to have confidence that you're going to make that shot. So the next step to me is instead of thinking about how tired your legs are because you just trudge through all that water, think about the fact that your arms still feel great and you can control the, your aim with your arms because you didn't use your arms as much or your arms didn't have to push through all that mud and water. Your legs did that for you. So it's how you see things as opposed to just seeing yourself as, oh man, I'm exhausted. Like my whole body is shot. Well, maybe not maybe not your whole body, maybe just your legs are really tired right now. And if it is your whole body, which does happen in what we do, because you know, if you're if you're painting that picture of the explosiveness of if you're in a pit blind or a ground blind, you got to use your abdominals and your core to get up, or you got to do like a a dip kind of exercise thing to get up out of a pit blind. That's an explosive right there. You're wearing heavy boots. You're wearing more clothing than you're probably used to working out in. You are in probably different elements, meaning. Your breathing might be a little bit affected by how cold it is. Breathing in cold air and not ready for that. You're going in from a heated blind to cold outside. So your body is seeing, you know, drastic differences in temperature control. And the only thing that gets you through is systematic breathing, in my opinion, because in your opinion, in your instance or your example, you weren't carrying four or six or eight, 12 to, or let's say 10 to 14 pound Canada geese in each hand. So you got four in each hand and now you're running back after you already exploded out of the blind, you're running as fast as you can out there. Your dog's getting some, you're grabbing as many as you can. And that next flock is coming as a waterfowl hunter. And now you have to turn around and see how far you are from your hide. And you have all this extra weight, which is uneven weight, which is dead weight because it's bouncing and it's carrying your arms. Now your biceps, your triceps, and your forearms, your wrists, all of that that goes into your trigger finger and your mechanism to be able to be successful. The next one, now you place them real quick. And at the same time, you still have to visualize and have the mindset of what's getting ready to happen. And now you're already starting to pre-plan and prepare for that. And at the same time, you are your heart rates through the roof because of your excitement level, plus the physical fatigue, plus the exercise. So now you're getting back down into that blind. And now you have to be able to sit in a position to where you're elevated in kind of a half squat quarter squat position above your chair to see out of the blind. I'm the caller. So I got my, a lot of the times I am, there's other callers, but now my lungs are working out again, all of a sudden, sorry, because of the calling. And at the same time, I'm telling these guys flag, get ready, get the dog hidden. And my heart rate's still hasn't come down. So you have to be able to train for those instances of being able to, you know, the pierce lips in through your nose, out through your nose, or in through your nose, out through your pierce lips, expanding your diaphragm. I practice that a lot in wheezing of breathing in through my nose, out through my mouth with pierce lips. And when I'm breathing in to expand my diaphragm out to where it looks like you're, you, you have a, 
a belly or a bowling ball in there and being able to control that. The skinniest, most in-shape people or the best cores in the world like you should be able to expand their diaphragm out to make it look like you have a soccer ball in there. I remember Todd Kariza in high school was a stud athlete, ripped up, and he could do breathing techniques and get his belly in the right position to get the most maximum amount of air into his diaphragm as he could. And that all comes with training in the gym and being prepared for that of when you do start to feel failure, you start to fail forward of like, all right, I'm in that instance. Here I am. I'm running back. I got these geese in my hands. My dog's running with me. People are yelling. I hear the other flock coming. I'm excited as hell. This is what we've been working for. Now the geese are presenting that opportunity and now it's time to capitalize. And if you're not ready, you're failing. You're, you might not be able to call and you're hyperventilating and you're trying to call and it sounds like shit because you're not, you're not getting the right amount of air into it. So now you're not being a perfectionist. You're not presenting that picture to those geese in the right manner that you practice to do because you're out of shape. Yeah. So you just said something that I really want to get out right now. Most of the time, and I think when I talk to people and we, I keep repeating, they don't know their why. If I say to them, Hey, on your last hunt, I know you're here today because your last hunt didn't go the way you wanted it to. And physically you didn't feel ready. So what, what was the why behind that? There's something called transferability, right? And that's, that's along the lines of things being relative. So how did your preparedness transfer to that hunt? Now you do chaos training all the time with me. And in Muscle and Fitness, that magazine, that article that came out, we, you can see in your routine, there's something called the chaos safety bar squat that you did. And when you're doing that type of movement, there's dumb uh, kettlebells rather dangling off of the ends of a bar and and they're, they're bouncing off of a rubber band. And I I know that some people poo poo that stuff and they say, Oh man, that's not necessary. And you know what? I would actually agree with a lot of people not doing the fundamentals first and then just jumping to that kind of stuff. I don't think everybody should just go out and, and do those type of chaos squats. But once you've put in the work and you've done say some basic proprioceptive type of movements and you've uh, gotten adjusted to hiking on maybe more challenging terrain. Now you might want to step it up another level and do something like you've done there with your chaos training. But the other reason why I had you do it is just mental. So we talk about threshold again. I wanted you to be able to think about doing those reverse chaos lunges that we did, the chaos squats, things like that, to where it was very challenging on your core and your stability, but also on your breathing techniques. In other words, the reason why you were able to get through it is because you reverted back to the intrinsic basic breathing systematic pattern that you like to follow. And I saw you doing it when I didn't even have to explain that part to you that day. By the time you get to those type of movements, you should know that anyway, but you reverted right back to your breathing patterns. I didn't have to explain to you how to breathe in that movement. And that's just going to reinforce things for you. So when you are out there in those elements, you can think, well, compared to what those chaos squats are actually harder than what I was doing here. A lot of times I will talk about how important it is for recovery and how you don't want to grind it out every day. And sometimes people can get the wrong impression that I won't push my athletes 
there are times when I'm going to actually try to safely, but effectively push an athlete as far as we can go. And so that's an example to me about how we're really pushing your breathing pattern responsibly so that it's reinforced for your hunts because ultimately you have adjusted to the point where you can power walk, you can walk on uh, up mountains, your cardio has gotten a lot better. So I think advancing you in those directions is really helpful. So what I would say here though, on the threshold conversation is knowing what your flow state or how to get to your flow state is an important part of the conversation. So when you're in your flow state, it doesn't seem hard. And you alluded to that with the runner's high. And I believe that the right endorphins are being released. You've exposed yourself enough to a certain type of stimulus, but also mainly that you're, you're really enjoying or loving what you're doing. In other words, you're inspired and that's why it doesn't seem hard anymore. But again, all we did was we switched your focus. So I think that when we talk about expectations, too often we've been influenced the wrong way and i'm not the only trainer out there that thinks this way but it's why i keep going back to this subject don't get influenced by what you see out there because it's probably not real anyway in other words what we have to expect out of ourselves or our programs or our progressions can be very different in reality when it's down to just us or just to yourself. In other words, do the work, earn it, make the mistakes, fail for it anyway. Okay. Expect it to take consistency in a routine and layers and time and training, and then understand that you should not expect anything out of it except for the reward of the process in other words every single day i've been in this process challenging myself in one way or another and i'm willing to earn everything i want out of life but i don't expect it and knowing your why when i say that for your threshold it boils down to this from your original question of why I think it's an individual answer. Because you could say to me, Chad, man, don't you want that Tony Stark car? And there was a time in my life when I did. I'd say, yeah, I want that car, man. It's a $250,000 or $300,000 car, whatever. Okay. And what is it going to take to have that car? Well, I have clients of mine that have cars like that. And I see what they do in their lives and what they've done to achieve that level of success. Some of it, I think I, I would never want to do. In other words, being a CEO of a company and maybe that company is, uh, let's say you're, you're selling a certain product that you don't really necessarily believe in, but you make the money that you can buy that car. Does that serve your why? Well, I don't think for most people listening, it would. And I fit into that category where I didn't want a car like that unless it happened to come out of serving others the way I wanted to serve others. So in other words, training my athletes became my main priority. And then over time, I was able to make a career out of that. 
but I did not do it for that car. I did it because I wanted to have an, an effect, a legacy that I could be proud of where I get the kind of responses or texts or letters of appreciation I do from parents or athletes or, you know, even just getting invited to somebody's wedding that I used to coach 15 years ago. That means the world to me, uh, being told that I had some sort of influence on somebody who's now a doctor, true story. And she's telling me that I really don't think I would have even had the confidence to get through medical school and make this difference if it hadn't been from what I learned with you. That's extremely important to me that she feels that way. I know she did the work, but I, I was a spoke in the wheel and I'm very proud of that. Now, that being said, at this point in my career, I could have the Sony car, the Stony, the Stony, the Tony Stark car. I could have that but you know what? I don't want it. Don't need it. Which is funny, right? Like it's kind of come full circle to where I realized that that was, that's not important to me as nearly as important to me as it used to be. Now that I could actually have it. And and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying I'll never want it. Maybe I will one day and I've earned it so I can get it if I want to. But that's what I have realized is that that was never the real point for me. And so comparing thresholds and bringing this full circle to what is your threshold and how to push through thresholds to get to the next one. I think as long as you're doing what's true to you and something that is relative and transferable to you, and that's going to get you the true results you want, you're going to, I think, have the fortitude to try just a little bit harder, to take one more step, one step at a time, focusing now on just this next step, not the mountain in front of me, but just this next step that will actually get me to the top of the mountain eventually. And just realizing it comes down to those basic principles just done again and again and again and over and over until what used to be hard for you is now maybe moderate. What used to be moderate is now easy. So you have a new level of hard yeah and it goes <clears throat> if i'm coming back to my story is i'm running back into the blind with all of these geese and i start visualizing what is getting ready to happen and now i'm going right back to my training of those reverse chaos squats and those reverse chaos, i mean the, the squats and the reverse chaos lunges and i've be, developed in my mind at this stage in my life, this stage in my career, this stage in my hunting, this stage in my training is that I am going to apply that moment of turning and seeing how far that blind is away, knowing that I have an extra 80 pounds in my hands to go back. And people could take that with a grain of salt and say, that's part of the hunt. Well, I can't walk back. I challenge myself not to just walk back and be late and, and, and mess up the next flock. I challenge myself just not to throw those geese on the ground and put them wherever they're at. I got to put them in individual pilots and stay within the limits of the law and the regulations. And I challenge myself to make sure that when I start calling again, that I sound realistic and authentic to those, those birds approaching because I want the hunt to be that perfect. So... I start taking that breathing and I start taking that visualization, which people don't understand the power of visualization, which is huge in any athletics, huge in business. So now when I'm stressed, I breathe. When I have a headache, 
I breathe, where what you talked about in your last talk in, in when you were right before you quit talking about what we're preconditioned to. Well, if people get stressed, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to have a drink. If we have a headache, what are we supposed to do? Take as many ibuprofen as this as you're allowed to per day of your body weight and your age and all of that. Well, I started to apply my visualization, my breathing, my mental approach to all of those aspects in life, meaning that I can fail forward that if I am stressed out about a job or a proposal that's to do or a meeting that's coming up or a speaking engagement or a hunt that I might not be prepared for or something that is going to present itself as a potential threshold, I breathe. I start to visualize. And then I tell myself, I, if I need help with this, I'm not afraid to fail in that area too of saying, you know what? I go to therapy. I have a therapist. I have a, psych- a psychologist. I have somebody that sits on a couch and takes notes on what I say. A lot of people think, yeah, right, Belding, you probably end up taking notes on your doctor and they, they end up, le- you know what I'm saying? But I am not afraid to accept that and accept failure. Like, man, I'm, I'm not doing this on my own. I need somebody to bounce something off of that's in a, ver- in a manner that might be a little bit more confidential. I'm not afraid to, to get a headache because I know that I can get rid of it. I'm not afraid to face stress because I know that I can handle it. I'm not afraid to turn around and see that blind or that hide so far away because I know that I can handle it and be ready and, and to, to apply myself in the way that I see fit by the time I'm ready to start hunting again and the next flock is coming at me. And it all goes back to understanding what your thresholds are and how you're going to mentally prepare yourself to take that on. And I always find myself, all right, well, I'm going to apply that because I found success in it. I'm going to apply it to this now. And it might not be that physical, but it might be, all right, well, I got lower back pain. I got something going on in my sciatica. My IT band's tight as and I don't, and I got a lot of pain down my left leg today. Whereas before you'd be like, oh my gosh, I got to see a chiropractor. Oh my gosh, I got to call my brother because he's got a master's in physical therapist. Oh my gosh, I need pain medicine. But you know what I do now? I breathe and I roll out and I dig in there and I do it within the means that you're supposed to because I've educated myself through you and Aaron on that process of rolling out and how important pain threshold is in that. Because if you can get into there and you can take the pain of a real deep tissue massage or rolling out on your own, you can get rid of so much pain that you would, uh, before we were preconditioned to make an appointment to a doctor. And now I'm like, I don't go to the doctor. I don't get sick, knock on wood with what's going on in society right now. I don't take a lot of medicines. I don't find myself stressed out a lot because I diffuse it right away with breathing and visualization and being prepared. So all of that goes back to what are you prepared for? Is it that guy walking up in the kitchen or that girl walking up in the kitchen and asking Matt what, you know, what's going on in training? Are you really prepared for what he has to say? Because it might be something to where you're going to be, go home that night and go, shit, I didn't get the reaction out of him I wanted. And that is why coming full circle, I don't set myself up to take a compliment because I'm always too critical and I'm not, I'm not going to get the reaction out of you that I want or that I think I deserve. So I just defer it because I've been working my ass off. You don't know how hard I work when you're not around. I don't just put what I do on TV. I'm doing a lot of stuff in the background. So when I defer it, that's me just saying, look, it's not, it's, it's, I'm not ready for this compliment because it's not at my level. It's just going to let me fail forward even more. So what you're saying to me, I, I appreciate it and I respect, but all of those turnarounds and seeing how far that blind was away or knowing how many squats I had left or how many pull-ups were left in the sequence or 
the stress level I got coming up on this proposal or if am I going to get told on this told no on this proposal. I'm prepared for that and I sit there and I condition myself of if this happens, all we got to do is fail forward. And that's what I that's what I've done in business, that's what I've done as a father, that's what I've done as a as a friend, that's what I do as an entrepreneur, that's what I do as a hunter, that's what I do as a cooker. I mean, I don't know how many recipes I effed up. And I try to show people like I F up a lot of stuff. I fail at a lot of them before I get it right. Yeah. So the quote that I have been saying a lot more lately is, yes, change me. Because I was taught for a long time positive affirmations. If you say I am strong, I can do this. I'm fast. Whatever it is that you are feeling insecure about, you just keep saying automatic negative thoughts are going to come into everybody's mind. And I still believe that the strategy of saying something positive three times in a row, at least for every one time you think of it is a good way to go. It's a great way to go, right? Three to one. That's the ratio we still stick with at any weak points. Okay. Three, three to one is, is kind of what I always preach. Right. So that's, that, that's something that has always maintained in my coaching. But that being said, what I have noticed over the years is there's some athletes that that just does not work with. And it doesn't work because no matter how many times they say it, they can say, I am strong, but they don't really believe it. And they don't believe it just because they say it more. So for them, I think that we have to actually address why they feel they're not strong, for example, and then we can make some changes. So I say three to one because, for example, you could find somebody needs to have a stronger mid to lower trap so that they can have better push power, let's say for a boxer in their serratus anterior. And now they're doing three parts in their posterior chain of their back muscles and their traps and their rotator cuffs, et cetera. Um, and the external rotators of their shoulders, the mid to lower traps, et cetera. And they're doing those movements, three parts to maybe one part push. But now you're actually giving them a mental reason to believe that they are strong because they've actually done the work to get stronger. So I think sometimes it's better to actually embrace what you're thinking negatively, but just accept it and say, yes, I, I'm okay. Yes, I'm weak. Now change me. I'm going to get stronger by doing these things. And of course, you have to be the one willing to do that. So when I say change me, that means you have to work for it. You have to you have to earn it every step of the way and you can't expect it. You can't expect any of that to just come. And if you, if something's not working for you, take the time, take the approach to find out what it is that you can do to improve. And of course, I don't think we could have a podcast without mentioning the great Les Nesbitt and there's no hill for a climber, which, uh, listen, I, I, this guy is my hero for a reason. I'm sorry, but the, uh, I know I talk about him a lot. You talk about him a lot, but there's just very few people out there like this guy. And he talks about using the mental images, the visualization you just mentioned, seeing that hill as an opportunity in front of you. Okay. There's some, in other words, there's some resistance in front of you. That's that hill. And I don't see it as resistance instead. Yes. Good. Change me. 
yes, here's an opportunity for me to get stronger. I'm glad I have this challenge. It would suck if I didn't have any challenges in front of me. And there's there's no way that doing this progression or getting through this is going to change me at all. Why would I even bother wanting to do it, right? So I'm going to have that mindset instead of there's no hill for a climber. Yes, change me. Do you like, do you fly a lot? You travel, you like turbulence. You like when that plane starts, isn't that the worst freaking feeling in the world? <laughs> yeah. You know what I, you know what I do when I'm on a plane? Mm. I ask for it sometimes. Yep. Yep. Because if you don't, if you don't have turbulence, then you're never going to know what you're afraid of. You're never going to know. So I'm in the plane going, man, this is smooth as shit. And I always pray to my God and I always pray to my dad about, you know, keep us safe and smooth on our, on our takeoff, on our landing, on our flight, get us there safe and secure. But I'm also up there going, shake this son of a bitch. Let's make it a roller coaster ride for a minute. I don't want anybody in here to feel fear or get hurt, but put us through a little bit of that anguish of what is turbulence and why are we preconditioned to be scared of it when a pilot's up there going, oh, this is like Disneyland roller coaster he's ready for because the rest of the flight's boring as hell. If you sit next to a pilot that's just transferring from one city to the next to get on a plane and he's sitting back in the, in the, you know, in the regular seats, you are, you watch him and he's just reading his book, playing his cards. Nothing's bothering him. Because he's been, he's, he's, he's ready for it. They know that they've trained themselves. They visualized it. They know what's getting ready on that radar when it says it's going to go from mild to moderate to heavy and, and extreme turbulence. It's the same thing of that heel. It's like, if you're not ready to see resistance and you're not prepared for it and you're scared of it, I'd look at a heel and I'm like, I can't wait to get on that son bitch. I can't wait to try to accomplish this. I can't wait to get after this and win or lose or learn something from it. So that's why I find myself in a jet going, I don't want to shake. I'm scared of turbulence, but come on, shake it a little bit just so I can get through my fear. Because if I don't face it and I don't let turbulence kick me in the ass once in a while and remind me that we are in a vessel, a fuselage up in the air with wings, with Wi-Fi, and we're so comfort in our ways, you got to make us uncomfortable once in a while. We have to become uncomfortable. That's what that heel is. But I don't look at that heel. I'm like less. I'm like, man. I'm really taking on this deal right now. I just wrote a big check, you know, as an investment. And people would look at most people and go, at this time, why are you doing it? What what what's what research do you have? Did you see a PL? Did you see the projections? No, no, no. Well, why'd you do it? Because I just know that I'm gonna make it work. I know that I got the right team around me. I know that I believe in this man's vision. I'm going for it. And I just did it. And I'll, if I fail, then I'll eat it. But if I succeed, I don't I, I wanna be able to look back and go, Man, that was presented to me and I just I just was prepared for it. When I heard it, I was prepared to go. I saw the hill in front of me, I saw the mountain in front of me, and I said, boom. It wasn't it wasn't resistance. It wasn't a fright. I wasn't scared. I was like, I'm throwing it all in on this craps game called Chad. I'm betting on myself. And that's what I've always done is like, well, do you play the stock market? No. Well, what do you invest in? I always look at them and go, me. I just invest in me. Not that I'm arrogant, not that I'm I'm trying to teach you that I'm better, I'm or I'm trying to say that I'm better than anybody. I'm simply saying that. I invest in me to try to take it to that next level of getting over that mountain. I don't want to wake up and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing the market or investing in IRAs or hedge funds or whatever it is. I have money in different places, not a lot of it, but I bet on me. And that's what that turning around and seeing how far away my blind was 
as a hunter, I'm keeping it in that perspective, is that I just bet on me. I'm going to get back there and make this happen again. All of these dead geese that we're out here to do. And yeah, we killed geese. We're going to eat these geese. This is why we're, our freezers are full right now because of this. And now I'm going to be prepared to do it again. Because it's not seeing that blind, how far away it is with this extra 80 pounds. You know what that is? That's just the farmers walk around the building. And that's the way that I look at life is that my grip hurts, my forearms hurt, my pride might hurt if I, if I, if I fall down, I fell down before, you know what I do? The cameramen are all laughing. The editors are all laughing when they're watching it. And I'm like, and they're thinking, don't put that in there. I go, put it in there because I fell. I fell forward. I fell. I kept my gun out of the water. I bounced right back up. I hit a stump underwater that I didn't see. I was excited. I was carrying dead birds and a loaded weapon and I fell and I kept it in a safe position. I used my core not to hurt myself and I popped right back up and here we are all laughing about it. Put it on there for the world to see. It's embarrassing, but it's not embarrassing. If that makes sense. Of course it's embarrassing. I fell. I'm an idiot, but no, I'm not embarrassed because that's real life. And that's what that mountain is, is if you look at it and you're like, I'm not even going to get on it. I don't want this plane to shake at all. I just want the best. You know what's going to happen? You're never going to experience the real flight or the real voyage or the real or the real story or the real experience because not every freaking plane ride in a 747 or 737 or a G4, G5, a G450, whatever private jet you rich people are flying around in and you rightfully deserve to be doing so. There's no such thing as a perfect jet ride. You might get one out of a hundred. You are going to hit bumps and unsettled air in life. And it's, it's your ability to fail forward in that turbulence and go, oh my gosh, I needed that. That gave me the reason that I'm really not afraid of turbulence. It's there that I don't need to be afraid of that mountain. And that's why I love Les Nesbitt, 79 years old. He ain't afraid of shit. And that's why he's successful. He's had that attribute his whole life from boxing people that were way better athletes than him in Compton. Los Angeles, America, and down in Los Angeles, California, he grew up in a, in a neighborhood that he had to fight to prove himself. And he did that. And then he got into business and he had to fight to prove himself. And he did that. And then he got into dog training and then hunting. And he's always been, now he's in the hall of fame and a member of all of these super clubs of, of his accomplishments. And it is just a piece of paper, but the story and his risk is what really is the accomplishment, the Les Nesbitt. And that's why there really isn't a mountain to, you know, there isn't a mountain for a climber because you're always climbing. Where's that next rung? I'm never satisfied. Even if I'm on top and you're throwing rocks at me to get me off of that ladder, I'm still looking for that next rung to leave you further down there. So don't think that you're rock throwing at somebody like Les or me or Matt Pendole or somebody. Get up and do it. Don't throw rocks at things that shine, like Taylor Swift says, because as soon as you hit me with that rock, it's too late. It ain't going to knock me down because I've already got a firm grip on the next rung up. And that's what is important about facing your fears and saying, hey, I can get this done in a, in a, in a matter because of my training and my visualization. Yeah. And this, I love this point you're making because all of us, I think, have been there where we have rocks being thrown at us when we're trying to shine. And we have to expect that because there's always going to be haters. And why are they haters? They don't really hate us. They just hate the fact that we're taking a shot at something and they didn't. And there can be some resentment there. But <clears throat> looking at swinging for the fences and striking out and realizing that I'm glad I took a shot. At least I took a shot, right? So going back to, you know, we guys quote Rocky at some point or another in these podcasts too, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, he, he took his shot. And I honestly believe that if you're not taking a shot at it, if you're, if you're never failing, then you're not making progress. You're, you're just playing it safe. And when you're in those 
those positive pain thresholds or you're in those uncomfortable situations and you're learning to be as comfortable as you can be, but pushing through discomfort and you're saying to yourself, okay, this is what my body should be doing to get better, or this is what my mind should be going through to get stronger. That's the way that we can look at it and focus now on intentional techniques or tension. In other words, we get the right feedback from ourselves and seeing that hill as an opportunity, like we're talking about here. So when I'm, when I would say, that the best they redefine toughness, Chad, the best they figure out what it is that society may be clinging to or what it is that stereotypes that are out there that they decide that they're not going to accept as normal for them, their normalization simply becomes different than most. And that's what separates them. And they're committed to their own success. They're committed to that process, even though it means they can get ridiculed, made fun of, or just questioned. I remember watching people play it safe at an event I was at, and then one athlete just going for it, and everybody was making fun of him and laughing. And he got, he got caught, he got beaten, and everybody was saying that this, uh, this kid was you know delusional and he wasn't good at uh, competing. And I shook my head and said the opposite. This kid's going to be a freaking champion, and he already is in his own mind. It's how you see yourself, and he was going for it. And guess what? Over time, he was able to hold on longer and longer and longer until the norm for him was to keep that pace in this scenario. And he ended up becoming a, 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 an undefeated runner in this case. And I can uh, tell you in my hot shotting years, I've always said compared to what I wish I had done hot shotting before I had competed because that taught me a lot about compared to what you mentioned before about flying on a plane, getting into helicopters for obvious reasons, that thing shuts down on you, you drop like a rock. There's no pair shooting out of that in time there's nothing right and i had to overcome some nerves doing that but then the fires themselves became a challenge for me um, initially just being at a fire was a challenge then eventually it was when the flames were reaching 100 feet in the air and then eventually it became more to the point where i'd say only two three percent of my experiences were challenging to me anymore although when they did become a real challenge to me they were extremely challenging so i had to be prepared at any given point in my life to go to, from zero to to a hundred. We could just be sitting there playing horseshoes. I got really good at horseshoes, hot shotting. I'll admit that there's definitely downtime in a job like that. It's not all action and it's not all hard, but then it, in any moment you could be called to that fire, that spot fire that just occurred in your station somewhere. And you could be just fighting with everything you have to, to be able to contain that fire. And you go from one extreme to another like that. And, uh, there's a book that I just read. I suggest people, uh, if you want a quick read, it's an easy read, but it's called unfuck yourself with, uh, Jerry John Bishop. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that, but he says, uh, this is about seizing your fucking life and staking a claim for yourself as though your life depended on it. Because the reality is it does. 
I love that. Let's end it right there. Yeah. We might have to have a part four. Matt Pandola, the Pandola Project podcast. Check that podcast out. Thank you for supporting ours. Please support the partners and sponsors that support us, all of our brands. Check out brand new episodes of The Foul Life airing right now on the Outdoor Channel. I'm Chad Belding for Matt Pandola. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Tom, hit that button. This is Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone? What you going to do when the money's all gone? Say life owners won't last that long. What you going to do when the money's all gone?